What's up, team, and welcome back to the All In Podcast. If you haven't been following at the All In Project, that is at the All In Project on Instagram, that's the podcast page. Um, One, you should definitely be doing that, but if you have been following, then you know that I recently put a poll in the stories, had you guys vote, and let me know if you'd like to see some solo episodes as well as suggest a solo episode. So you suggested an episode, um, this is one of the suggestions, which was telling uh, my story of how I got to become a high-level athlete. So I thought this would be fun. I do, you know, share my story on my own social media, on other podcasts and different platforms, but often I really focus more on, you know, my story of mental health, athlete transition uh, between different sports and things like that. But I think it'll be really fun to dive into how I basically got from riding in my small backyard where there's no big mountains, nothing near us to competing on the world tour in slope style snowboarding. Alright, where to begin? I guess my my story in sport really begins when I was, I, I believe I was two years old. I was born in Vancouver, British Columbia, so that is actually where there are large mountains. And I learned to ski at two years old. At an early age, I also learned to skate because my dad was into hockey and football and just was always active. Uh, playing around, I was, I'm the firstborn of, there's two siblings in my family, my, myself and my brother. And my dad and I just played sports all the time. My mom is, she likes sports, but she comes from Venezuela. Uh, I think she played maybe some volleyball in high school, um, but sports weren't like a big part of her life. Unlike my dad, who comes from a small town in Ontario, where basically like sports are what you do for fun, right? You play outside, you play basketball, you play football, uh, you play hockey, you have rivalries with the other small towns around you. So sports are a big part of, you know, rural uh, small town, Ontario, Canada life. So, uh, yeah, so my, my dad always was like, he'll tell you now that he was developing me, developing me to be an athlete from a young age, which is always funny because I think it's easy to say in retrospect, he'll say, oh, well, now that you became an athlete, remember how I always was working on your agility and doing all these things. But in reality, I think it was more like for fun and games and it just what I naturally seemed to gravitate to was, you know, playing and using my body, um, trying to get stronger, trying to have fun playing outside and doing stuff like that. Um, then as as I grew up, we, we skied a little bit more um, and then we moved to New Jersey, which was like a two year hiatus of kind of sports, I like to say, um, because it was it wasn't really enough time to get used to like the school systems, make new friends and all these things. But I remember playing soccer and I think my dad and I, we would play tennis, um, but there wasn't really much hockey down there. Then when I came back, that's when hockey kind of became my main sport. My parents immediately put me into hockey and I really took to that right away. Um, And so that played a big role in my sport development for most of my um, kind of preteen and even teen life before snowboarding. I also had picked up skateboarding. Uh, I have no idea how I found out about skateboarding. I think maybe just watching Tony Hawk videos. And I remember my parents bought me an X Games Tony Hawk 
uh, movie, which I would watch for trick tips and just inspiration. And I saved up for like a year to buy this like $14 skateboard from Toys R Us, this like mini board. Uh, I was no good at it, but just really enjoyed skateboarding and those kind of sports as well, as well as biking. I always had a BMX bike and then my brother and I would build dirt jumps uh, at the cottage um, just around our house. So we were kind of getting into the action sports. I have really no idea how we kind of got so so in touch with the action sports, especially coming from the fact that we were in, you know, kind of normal sports like hockey. In school, I try to play on every sports team that I possibly could, gym class, fitness testing, sports, that's like my favorite time of the day. And what I think really gravitated us towards sports as well is that my parents never let us have any sort of game system. So unfortunately, now I'm horrible at video games and I wish I was much better, especially with the rise of esports. But uh, we just were told to go outside. And so we spent almost all of our time just going outside and playing sports. Additionally, my parents weren't like big fans of just saying, hey, I'm gonna go hang out at a friend's house. They're like, well, what's hang out? Like give us specifics. So playing sports and saying like, well, I'm gonna go play baseball at the field or I'm gonna go play soccer. That was like when we were allowed to have a little bit more freedom because we had this plan um, and sports kind of were a great outlet for our energy. Uh, additionally, uh, we spent pretty much all our summers at the cottage. We have this small family cabin. There's like no TV. The bathroom's in a separate building. Uh, our whole family kind of like slept in one big bunk bed together for all of our summers. Um, we still spend a lot of our summers up there. And so often it was just my brother and I, and we never really had any of our school friends. They would maybe come visit. Maybe we'd have like two friends a summer that would come visit. And my dad would be working. My grandparents were often there, but they would come go back and forth from their house. And so two things that we did every single day was one, we had to do manual labor before we were allowed to like do things for fun or ask my dad to take us out on the boat or anything like that. So that was a big part in training and getting strong and building some of those things that would carry me forward in the future. And then number two was that my brother and I had to invent tons of games to keep us busy. Otherwise, me with ADHD um, and my brother with also high energy and just being around me, we would probably go insane. So we would play like two-person soccer, which you can imagine requires a lot of cardio because we would be running between driveways, jumping off little cliffs, like over rocks. Um, when you're playing a two-person game that's supposed to be played by a lot more people, uh, you're doing a ton of running and crazy things and being both the goalie and the striker and the defense. And um, we would make up tons of games like this. Um, from water gun fights to like uh, somehow playing tag with two people. We would do a ton of these types of games and adventures. Um, so I think I really did build a good athletic base for us. Additionally, with hockey, my parents didn't send us away to like hockey camps in the summer. So we always did different sports. We trained uh, different things. And I would also do some like conditioning. I really enjoyed doing like running and push-ups and pull-ups around the cottage, you know, trail runs and things like that. That was a big part of my training growing up. I want to emphasize this because I think it's important that young athletes now, so if you're a parent or a uh, young athlete listening, playing multi-sports is just so game-changing. I think it's very important because now we see athletes specializing from a very, very young age, but I think it's important to just build the general base of like strength, agility, 
balance, speed, coordination in challenging yourself in new different ways, as well as if you do have this plan of becoming a top athlete and an elite athlete in your specific sport, there's, you're going to specialize later, right? Like you're, when you go to college or whatever it is, you're going to have those times where you're going to be very specialized. And not only is that hard on the body because you build, you know, compensations and movement patterns that are very specific for that sport, which could cause imbalances, is also that it's hard mentally. It's very hard mentally, even though you love that sport, everything is based around that. So at least as a kid, having a chance to explore different things, see what else you like to do for fun, doing things sometimes just for fun, as well as challenging yourself in new ways physically so that you can kind of prevent some of those injuries and imbalances that, that might happen later on. There's a reason why in, uh, I think this past year's Super Bowl, there was a very high percentage of those athletes who were multi-sport athletes in high school as well as in college. Um, and it's not just that they have the natural talent to be an athlete. I think it is important that you have that focus and so that you don't burn out too early in your career and you can keep making it and pushing and pushing um, and still have that same mindset and physical uh, stamina and longevity to you know push your career into the, the pro level and beyond. All right, so moving on past um, that multi-sport story and kind of the background of building my athletic base, uh, I'll start to get into like the actual snowboarding journey. So I think I was about 12 years old when I first started snowboarding, which is very late compared to, you know, this day and age where kids often grew up just with a snowboard attached to their feet. I have friends who have now had kids and their kids have been snowboarding since they were two years old. Um, I did have the background of skiing, which was beneficial. And then I did take up some skateboarding, which helped a bit. But again, I, I was no good at skateboarding at the time. I still wouldn't say I'm good at skateboarding, but I can, you know, ollie and uh, occasionally do a kickflip and turn and do things like that. But back then I couldn't even really turn. But I think what drew me into snowboarding in the first place was that all the kids in my school were... Uh, snowboarding like it just seemed like the new cool thing and I always wanted to do you know especially when it came to sports whatever every everyone else was doing um, like even I think it was grade three when all the boys in my class said oh we all play baseball and I said okay I want to play they're like no you can't sign up it's too late so I went home and I told my dad I said can you call and see if I can still sign up for baseball he ended up helping me get in and uh, I actually played um, even competitive baseball boys baseball up until I think the age of 13 I was a pitcher and a catcher um, so I think it was the same trend it was those same you know boys in my class that were all snowboarding so I wanted to to trade off and, and start snowboarding. Now my family, we didn't own any skis or anything. We would go occasionally. It was very hard because I played competitive hockey and so did my brother and my dad helped with coaching. So we didn't have much time, especially on weekends between that hectic schedule to actually go to the ski resorts as well as this, it's pretty expensive of a sport. So we would rent skis whenever we went a few times. And one day I was there and I decided to trade my skis for a snowboard. And then it turned out that uh, a kid my brother played hockey with, who my dad coached, his family was there and his older brother was a snowboarder. And so he took me onto the bunny hill. I thought I would be great right away. And I just caught my edge, tumbled head over heels down the hill. So big ego hit off the get-go. Then I remember we took the lift up. We went to this bunny hill. Now keep in, or not a bunny hill, but a green run. Keep in mind that the hills near my house, uh, and I still live in this the same area somewhat, are like, they take like 30 seconds to get down. 
So this one run took me like an hour to get down because it was so flat. And if you snowboard, you know that like if you hit a flat section, you don't have like poles on your skis or you can't skate with your skis to go faster. So you have to like unstrap your board and walk basically or push yourself with one foot across these flat sections. But of course I wasn't good enough at all. This is like my second run ever to go on the steeper runs that that doesn't happen. So it took me like an hour to get down this run. So it was uh, not an enjoyable experience, I would say. But something really hooked me about the fact that I wasn't good at it. A lot of sports earlier on, I think just from the background I had since I was a young kid, um, maybe my dad will say because of those things that we did together when I was younger, but I, sports came very naturally and quickly to me. Like when I was three years old, I told my parents I wanted to go to the Olympics someday. I had no idea what sport, but like I already knew I wanted to be an athlete. Um, and like I said, gym class, fitness testing, all those things were just like what I lived for. So it was just, for me, it was like a challenge. Like I, I never like to back down from a challenge. If someone told me I can't do something, I always have to prove them wrong. And so that was the case with snowboarding. It was like, okay, well, you know, snowboarding is telling me I can't do this, so I have to prove it wrong. So from that day forward, basically anytime my family went skiing, which again, wasn't too often, I would rent a snowboard instead. And they would ditch me because they were much faster on their skis. They didn't want to wait for me. And they were also annoyed that I couldn't turn. So I'm basically like always taking the snow off the run by going sideways really slowly. So they never snowboarded with me. Um, I just had to like teach myself and just spend a lot of time alone and learning. Uh, sometimes my dad would follow lessons and then come over and say, hey, I heard the instructor that was teaching these other kids said, you know, try this drill or do that. So I would try some of those things until they clicked. Um, but then it was like one day these, these kids from my school showed up at the mountain that I was at. Again, I don't know why I'm saying mountain. Again, it's like a small hill that I was at. And um, they, they were like, Nat, come snowboard with us. Like, come up this run. And I'm like, okay, I guess. But like, of course, as you guys know, I was no good. So I go up with them and they, they start following each other turning. So I said, I'm just going to follow them. And all of a sudden, before I knew it, I was actually turning. Like I could not believe it because it was like, I had spent basically two seasons not being able to turn. Again, I'd only been like a handful of times because of the hockey schedule. Uh, so I, it was just something about that challenge and the pressure that it just like clicked and I started turning. Um, there was still a challenge after that of like, you know, some days my turns would go and the other days I'd be more confident. But it was like, that was a game changing moment. And then I remember that year I was sitting in class and we were doing this drill where you partner up with someone and then you tell them like what your life dream is and they have to write about it and write about you. And I told the kid I was sitting with that my dream was to be a pro snowboarder. And it was so funny because they're like, well, like you're not good at the time. So it didn't make any sense. But it was like I always was daydreaming in class. And I don't know if anyone has watched the movie MVP, Most Valuable Primate. It's like a whole series. And there's one where um, the monkey in it, the chim or chimpanzee, I think, he snowboarded. And then the kid in it was snowboarding. I think they were in Colorado. And for some reason, every time I would daydream in class, I would just picture myself as that kid snowboarding through the trees and in the fresh powder. And I was like, I want that to be my life. Um, so for some reason, that's like I that was the first time I vocalized that goal, even though I was, again, no good at it at the time. Um, and so from that day forward, snowboarding really became my life. I ended up making the decision to take a step back in hockey. So I wanted to try to find a balance because I still liked hockey. Um, and it was still, my parents were a little bit confused because I had this goal of like 
being on the national hockey team, you could get a scholarship. There's all these opportunities. Um, so this decision didn't necessarily sit that well with my family. They, they support me no matter what. So they just like harped on me with jokes, but I knew they were kind of confused by it, but I ended up playing a lower level hockey for, I think two seasons while I was trying to get a little bit more time snowboarding. Still, I didn't have enough time snowboarding that I wanted. And with the with the hockey, I wasn't playing at the high enough level to be, you know, challenging to, to my skill level. And I always like to be challenged. So then I made the decision that, okay, I am going to basically stop my other sports and go all in on snowboarding. So I still played, I think that was like right before I went into high school, or my first year of high school. So I still played hockey and all the different high school sports because those seasons are usually one, two months long. But all winter, my whole focus was snowboarding. And so my friends groups changed, everything kind of changed as I went all in on snowboarding. And again, not good at this time, but I ended up working my way up to becoming a snowboard instructor at the local hill, which is how I actually convinced my parents to be able to drive me uh, after their long work days during the week and then all the weekends to go up to the ski hill. And then we made a lot of friends um, whose parents we'd all take turns kind of driving each other to the ski hill because we were all instructors. And that allowed me a lot of time to between lessons and all these things to spend time on my snowboard and learning. Um, and then the other thing that I did was I was just so passionate about snowboarding that we lived in this little townhouse, but our backyard wasn't fenced in, but all our neighbors were. So we kind of had like a larger backyard just by circumstance because it like went onto where the, the mailboxes for the whole street are and everyone else's again was fenced in. So I would build this little uh, jump sometimes, ramps, and I had this little skateboard rail that my grandpa had welded for me. So I would set it up, set up either a jump or the rail, and I would basically, there's like three steps of our, um, like our patio. Again, I wouldn't say pat patio, but it's a really small backyard. But I would just strap into my snowboard. I would use it like a start gate and like get a bunch of speed and then practice on these little ra uh, rails and, and jumps. So I basically spent every snow day doing stuff like that or going to the local toboggan hill to get more time. I just like did anything I could to make it work. It's like when you see kids who don't have a basketball court so they make a net up, that's what I would do. I would build rails out of like scrap wood and, and metal PVC pipes that I would find. I would go to construction sites and ask the construction sites, hey, do you have any like broken pieces of material that I can take? And they'd be like, why is this like 14 year old kid asking us for construction material? Um, yeah, I, my, my parents were really awesome about that. They just kind of let me do my thing and make my mistakes. And so I would try to do stuff like that. And then my brother was into skiing. So that also really helped because then my parents were driving both of us to the same places. And he would also, you know, help with building some of the stuff in the backyard and his friends would come over and we'd have a lot of fun just practicing, you know, skiing and snowboarding on these tiny little features because we didn't have the mountains or the big train parks to actually practice on. Eventually, I then also got into trampoline training, which was really beneficial uh, for my snowboarding. And um, that really that really helped with just my air awareness and different things. So like, I think the lesson from that that I would take now and especially things I learned is just making it happen. Like no matter what the resources you have, there's a way to make things happen, whether it's the financial resources, the um, like the local access location resources, you know, the people around you who don't believe in you um, or who are doubting your decision or whatever it is. If you want something bad enough, you can make it happen. But you got to go all in and you got to just find the ways that you can do it and look for the positives. Like I would always dream of going to the big mountains, but I didn't spend all day like crying because I couldn't go there. 
I just would try to make something work and just be, I just remember being so happy. Some of the happiest days of my lives or of, of my life, just, you know, hanging out with my friends or actually just by myself in my backyard, you know, training and thinking about this dream that I had and trying to make it um, a reality. So eventually I'll get into now how I started competing. So there would be like local competitions around, you know, around the city. Most of them would be kind of like little rail jams. So if you don't know snowboarding well, like a rail jam competition is where either they have a big scaffolding set up covered in snow or it's at an actual, you know, an actual ski hill and there's like a rail set up that you slide across, you jump onto and slide across and you do tricks either onto it while you're on it or off of it. Um, it's just a main, you know, terrain park type feature when it comes to the sport of snowboarding. Um, you've probably seen it if you see like a skateboarder who grinds a rail, it's like very similar. And so that was kind of the first competitions that I would enter. And often there was times I'd be like the only girl in those competitions or um, especially just in the Ottawa area being again, there's not those big mountains. Um, we just didn't have like the, a really large community when it came to people competing in skiing and snowboarding. Uh, I started doing yeah, again, these, these smaller competitions at different resorts nearby. And then eventually I begged my parents to let me go to some bigger competitions. So I think it was my... Mm, second last year of high school, so grade 11, that finally I convinced them to drive me up to like Mont Tremblant, which is about two and a half hours away, but it's like the biggest resort near us, um, to do this snowboard competition. Now I had this Cinderella story in my head that I'm like, okay, at like 15 years old, I'm gonna win this event against all these pro female riders. And, um, and then I'm just going to go pro, of course. Like that was my mentality always when I was growing up was like, I'm going to have this huge break and all of a sudden become an overnight success. And, uh, what ended up happening was I fell in all my runs and came dead last. And I remember just feeling that pain. Like I was crying and crying. And it's the first time I really had a major failure that I had to to deal with because again, there weren't that many, you know, uh, girls entering some of the other competitions that I went to. I won one of my first snowboard competitions, even though it was only two people in it. So this was my first real challenge and realizing like, okay, this, this overnight success dream is not what's going to happen. It's going to take a lot more work and a lot more time. So I remember just being so upset and distraught that like I vowed, I was like, next year I'm going to come and win, which again, like even looking back, I'm like, wow, that's like a pretty crazy goal <laughs> to, to set. So the next season, what happened was I just got, you know, I, I was really into snowboarding. So my family, we all sat down with my guidance counselor at school and we actually figured out a plan where I could take extra courses over the summer and graduate high school a semester early. Because even though, again, I still wasn't that good at snowboarding, I just knew this is what I wanted to do. My parents knew from a young age that, that you know, being an athlete was what I wanted to do. And so they were going to help me, you know, to support me. Uh, emotionally and however they could in doing that, whatever sport it was, even though I know they still wanted me to go back to hockey. And so they, they agreed with letting me basically take uh, the last semester of high school off, gra graduating early. Like I got a lot of extra credits in the year prior so that I fully graduated and everything. And I did go on to um, do university and different things like that. Um, and so that's that's what I did. So then uh, after that first semester of high school ended, um, I missed out on, you know, a lot of stuff that, that had to do with graduation, um, friends, parties, proms, like things like that. Um, but I wouldn't trade it for the world because what I ended up doing was spending that time, one, I went out west for my first competition, which unfortunately I broke my tailbone at, um, but two, working to make money. I worked, I think, five, eight, no, 
yeah, 5 a.m. to noon at a gas station (laughs) making breakfast sandwiches and coffee and um, just basically, you know, working at a gas station uh, five days a week just to to earn some money so that I could pay for uh, whatever I wanted to do in snowboarding the next season. So after I I broke my tailbone, I came back and I still had that one competition left. And that was the competition that the last year I came dead last, but vowed that I would win. Now, when I was at West, before I broke the tailbone, I had gone up to Whistler for a few days and had learned uh, a new trick, which is like a backside 540. So you're spinning, uh, I you kind of go off your toes, toe edge when you're snowboarding and you spin, uh, you know, a 360 and a half. So you land switch. So I had learned a few tricks that season. That was some major progression for me. So I came back into this event and as I'm watching people's runs, I'm like, if I can land like my top tricks, I could win this event. And again, I was, I believe 17 at the time and I'm going against snowboarders who I have cutouts of them on my walls cause they were in magazines, uh, you know, kind of like they have local prop popularity. This is one of the biggest, or this it was the biggest women's only slopestyle snowboarding competition series in on the world, in the world. So, I ended up landing my run and I can still visually like picture me going into the run, landing it. Um, and especially my brother, he actually skied down beside me and hugged me when I landed. And it was such a flow state moment. So I can remember every, you know, second of it, which is really cool. And I ended up winning the event. So I won this big novelty check. It's actually sitting in front of me now. I've brought it to all the different places I've lived since. It's like my pride and joy having this novelty check on with my name on it on the, the wall. I won a, a bunch of different prizing. I got, it was, the competition was run by Billabong. So that's how I got noticed by them because they became a future sponsor. And I got to go out to California, all expenses paid trip by Billabong and Monster Energy. Uh, to do like this other next competition, basically. Um, So that was a huge moment for me, super surreal. You know, it was when my family first realized, wow, like she does have, you know, a potential in the sport. And then that summer, uh, all that money that I had saved and worked for at that car dealership ended up paying off because I ended up going out to Whistler for a summer camp for three weeks. It was very expensive. um, So I had to save up a lot of money. And when I went out there, all the top pro riders, like national or international level riders are there from every other country. It's basically the training camp for everybody for the month of like June and July. And that was the year 2011. And when I was there, slopestyle snowboarding got uh, announced that it would be in the 2014 Olympics. So it was a massive, massive moment because all the athletes who would make it like you know they're the top pros at the time so they're basically not guaranteed but they knew that they were probably going to be selected to go we're all there so like hype was high conversations around it was very high then I got home that summer and ended up getting a text from a friend who said hey did you see on the Canada snowboard website you got selected to be part of the junior national team so basically what happened was I had no idea there was any ranking process again like even though I was in love with competing in slopestyle snowboarding and I had this goal since a young age of making the Olympics, I thought maybe that goal was over because uh, when I did get into slopestyle snowboarding, it wasn't in the Olympics at the time. So this was this was really massive for me and I was really excited because it was like, okay, perfect. You know, this new sport of snowboarding that I'm in love with, plus my goals of making the Olympics and being a pro athlete, these things are coming together. So I ended up then having to hire a coach, get a strength and conditioning coach, get a uh, sports psychology coach, um, 
by the way, like some of these things were kind of mandated by insurance. So with Canada Snowboard, pretty much all the athletes have had coaching before. I had never been coached. Uh, so I had to go and hire a coach because for insurance reasons, you can't really compete on at the World Cup or these events if you don't have a coach with you. Um, so I ended up moving in with my coach's parents about eight hours away for the season and spending my whole year essentially relearning the basics of snowboarding. So that's another lesson right there is like when I thought I was at the top of my game, having won this competition, all of a sudden having this success, my coach who was new, a new coach to me at the time said, you know, you're going to go ride with basically like the 10 year olds on the team and like relearn how to properly turn, how to approach a jump, how to do a straight air. And that was hard for me because I was all about like, okay, what's the next trick I can learn? What's the next thing that I can do? Right. And he was like, no, if you want to, you know, sustain a, a long career if you want to be able to progress further without getting injured and do it with good style because snowboarding slope style snowboarding is a judge sport so how you do things really matters how you grab how you look while you're riding you need to relearn these basics so that is definitely a main takeaway that I'll just stop and touch on here is that it's important to be coachable and it's important to focus on the basics and never think that you're too far past them. You know, for me, that was a really big lesson at that time to take the ego hit and be like, okay, I do need to work on these things. And that was really important because then I went on to kind of be known for having good style. And it was entirely from that because my style was very different before that to once I relearned those types of things. So that was definitely very, very important. From there, that season, I made the Junior World Championship team. I got to go out to Spain. I ended up getting ninth place, which was the highest placing of any uh, female Canadian athlete at that event. So I ended up um, getting carded and getting selected again for the next year's team. Um, and then I, the next season, I got into my first World Cup event, uh, did Junior World Championships again, but dealt with injuries on and off basically for the next uh, three seasons after that. Um, and then in... 2014, unfortunately, uh, I was injured for most of the Olympic qualifiers. I had like two Olympic qualifiers that basically I would have had to win. These are World Cup events if I wanted to qualify for the Olympics, which you are competing against all the people who would then go on to win the Olympics or be at the Olympics and, and then also the people who are the person who won the Olympics. Um, so I think I came 20-something and maybe a 30, 30th or something in those events, which, you know, looking back, I'm like, you know, 20 something and 30 something in the world is not too, not, not too shabby, especially for the age, my young age. But, um, yeah, I was pretty heartbroken because I, one of my best friends made the Olympics, but I didn't, I had a chance. I was so close that I actually had signed the Canadian Olympic team contract, everything, like anyone who had a potential chance of making it because the event was so close to when the Olympics were starting, had to basically get the process going and act as if you are going until you find out like you're not. So that was definitely really heartbreaking, but I did know like, you know, long-term focus, okay, 2018 is more my trajectory, but based off the injuries, things that I was going through mentally with now I realize it was mental health um, issues and um, even just fear things of I was with a friend who had some really bad crashes that I was witnessing and being a first responder at. Um, these things really affected me to the point where in 2015, I decided to make the hardest decision in my life and walk away. And that's a conversation for another time. I did do an episode all about mental health and my mental health journey where I touch more on that side, but I know this episode is supposed to focus more on like my athletic journey to getting to that top level. So how did I go from backyard to world tour? So 
Uh, I think we focused on first the multi-sport aspect. I think that's really important. Challenging yourself and building those just basic development of strength and coordination and balance and all these things that can carry you forward in any sport. Second one is, you know, making things happen. Um, no matter what resources you have, you got to be resourceful and you have to have that that drive. I think the, the next one I would say was, well, we already talked about it, was, you know, kind of swallowing the ego and being coachable and making sure that you're investing for the long run. Um, not just like, okay, what can be good for me this season? It's like, what can be good for me if I want to have a career for 10 plus years? Um, but then some other ones that I'll, that I'll highlight too is like the confidence and self-belief. Like I never let go of that confidence of thinking, you know what, I can be the Olympic champion one day, or I can lose this competition and come dead last, but next year I can win. Regardless of if that is truly your ability level or not at the time, I think you do need to have that belief. Like you have to have that confidence and belief that you could achieve it. Maybe it's not tomorrow. Maybe it's not next season, but you need to hold on to that because it is very hard to have the push through the hard days, through the struggle, through the process of things, of working towards your goals, or bouncing back from injuries, or everything that is really hard mentally and physically in the process, if you don't truly believe in that end goal. If you think, oh, maybe I could do it, maybe not, then what is actually going to drive you through those difficult days? So that's that's pretty much my story of how I went from backyard to world tour. I, um, I came from a place with not, you know, not resources or access to big mountains. My family, um, we weren't well off. We weren't, you know, uh, we, we had enough, but we were, my parents rented, you know, a townhouse for a lot of my life. They didn't own a house until late in my life. Um, so they didn't have the resources also to just send me around the world and pay for my plane tickets. So I also had to work like crazy jobs, which actually led me to sacrificing a lot of time on snow. So when everyone was going to Australia, New Zealand in our summer, cause it's their winter there to train so that they could train year round. I spent, you know, almost six months off snow every year because I had to work to pay for my season. So that's another thing is like you gotta you gotta work hard and you also gotta figure out where others opportunities that you can make things happen where others couldn't. So when I didn't have those resources, it taught me how to be resourceful, how to get sponsors to help me out so that I didn't have to work as much and I can go to more trips and spend more time training. Where could I work harder if I didn't have access to the snow or all the big mountains? Could I do things in my backyard? Could I hire a sports psychologist? Could I work with a strength and conditioning coach? Because I, you know, no matter what, where you are, you can always do exercises, body weight exercises even, or, you know, I would go to the gym. I would actually pick up my coach, um, you know, 7 a.m. We would go to the university gym and go and train because she was the university strength and conditioning coach for the hockey team there. Um, so you got to figure out a way to make it happen if you believe in your goal, um, even if you you come up with not the same opportunities that some of your peers or your competitors have. I think that's pretty much all the lessons that I that I have for today from um, from that story. It was really fun to kind of go through it and relive it in my mind. So really appreciate you for suggesting this episode. Definitely, if you like it, um, leave a review on this podcast. It really helps a lot with getting it out there. Make sure that you've subscribed. Um, and also letting you guys know moving forward, I think we're going to test out doing one week interview episode because that's my passion. I love interviewing guests and having them on and learning from them and sharing that learning with you, uh, hopefully, and, and sharing those the habits they have, their mindset, their stories. I, that's the funnest part for me. But I know there's a lot of requests to do some solo episodes. 
Um, and so it's been fun to do this one. So I hope to do some more. So we'll, we'll move forward. We'll test out alternating and things like that. But again, give us a follow on uh, Instagram at the all in project and feel free to ever leave a comment or a DM requesting some topics that you'd like uh, me to cover. If you'd like different episode styles, perhaps like reviewing past episodes or clips of past episodes. I know we've tested out some stuff like that in the past. So definitely let me know what you like, what you don't like. Your feedback is appreciated. And I really appreciate you for spending the time to listen to my story, um, for listening to everyone else's stories here on the All In podcast and, you know, for spending this time with me today. So have a great rest of your day, your week, whatever time you're listening, whatever that looks like for you. I'm grateful for you. I appreciate you. Um, have a good one. Hey, I think that the greatest gift in life is presence. So thank you so much for gracing me with your presence of tuning in to this episode. Now, something that I would appreciate a ton and would help this podcast keep growing is if you, one, take a screenshot of this episode and share it on your social media so more people can find the podcast and hopefully we can help impact more people. As well as number two is if you can leave a rating and a written review. That means so much. And once again, thank you for being here.